when I started my career, a sophisticated person was considered someone with a million dollars. I started my career in 1991. So we're now 31 years later, and a sophisticated person is someone with a million dollars. Um, we've been talking about inflation. Evidently, sophistication isn't inflatable. Or do you agree with that? Uh, <laughs> not according to the government, anyway. Not according to the government. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. McClure. You see, you didn't use your radio voice. You're always getting on me for not using my radio voice. I used my radio voice and you just said, Jeff, just, just saying. I'm trying Jeff to be... Jeff McClure. I said the... There you go. I, I said the whole... Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's not, you, you have a disadvantage there in that I actually heard radio when they, people had radio voices. I used to listen to radio because we didn't have a television. Yeah, but I watch a Christmas story every, every yeah, Christmas and they not, sit in front of the radio on that. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jeff and Jake McClure. Where one of them will maybe heard to say, well, it's not I'm as bald. exciting as I thought it would be, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you think anybody's actually listening? Uh, I know I'm not. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, By the way, this is, this is the Personal Wealth Coach. It's in case you didn't know, that was the name of this radio program. We've only the said it Wealth four Coach. times, so it's fine. The pers- well, you know, people are a little slow sometime on Saturday mornings. Uh, the Personal Wealth Coach is not only the name of a radio program, I think. We hope. Uh, we have on good authority from sources we deem reliable. Um, it is also the name of a registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas, that is registered with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, which implies in no way that they approve of us or disapprove of us, just simply says that is our primary regulator and that is who through whom we are registered. Yeah, I mean, this is a simple statement that should kind of preclude all of that. Economists should never imply that anybody like them. See, or approves of them. or approves of them in any way because on the other hand they're economists. But on the other hand, you know, but yes, but yes, economists have lots of hands. We're at least eight. We're trying to compete with the octopuses. Yeah. All true. right. Uh, the next okay, so we next one is that just because we're registered with the SEC to provide that. investment advice, that's what the whole registration is. Doesn't mean we can give investment advice on the air. So why do we even Got say it. it? Well, because you have to know who we're registered with. And if we do give investment advice on the air, that's probably a really bad thing. Why? Because it's not private on the radio, one. Uh, two, if I give one of you advice, it's probably bad advice to somebody else. It's kind of like going to the eye doctor and having them take the glasses off their face and say, here you go. These worked well for me. It, it seems logical, but probably not. So we're giving education, not investment advice on the air. We're telling you how the glasses work, not giving you a prescription on what your eyesight needs to be adjusted to. Now, you're welcome to come in for an examination. Yeah. And we will fit appropriately designed fiduciary standard eyeglasses to your portfolio. Yes, yes. But it's not really a good thing to do on the air. 
So that right. was a that was a really not a disclosure. That was more like a explanation of a disclosure. But that's good enough. So uh, I know we're supposed to disclose in as few words as possible, uh, as quickly as possible, and in a monotone, so that there's absolutely no way that you can understand the stuff that the regulators believe it's vital for you to hear and understand. But, but if you say them really quickly, you vent the requirement. Yes, that's all you need. All right. Yep. Anyway, let's go on with our disclosure. So the, the, yes, next disclosure is yours because you like to do... The deem- information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or reliability of said information. Nice. Uh, we don't pay for this radio program. We don't? No, we don't pay them, oh. and we don't get paid for it either. Uh, we've it's been crazy. doing this since 1997, and we do advertise on the studio's airspace to support the radio program. So we give ad- all of our advertisement is for the radio program, and then the but studio also advertises for the radio program. Go ahead. We do mention ourselves on on the the that we exist yes on the radio program and give our telephone number so so that is a form of advertisement yes there is a form well i mean we're talking to you you hear our voices you're probably gonna well i don't know that's a bit of an assumption for me to say that they would like what they hear that's a big stretch this may be the worst advertisement possible they hear us talking and they go whoa those two bald guys just can't shut up i'm not gonna go talk that is There's there's probably a lot of truth in that. So we may have lost more clients than we've gained through doing this radio program. We'll never know. Try to prove the negative. Uh, We've got some questions hanging out there. Sure. Um, The the questions we have, uh, a couple of them from Inquisitor John. Uh, Neither of them include the Wall Street Journal, by the way. There's not a picture of the Wall Street Journal in any of these questions. He's breaking I, his pattern. I am. I, I may cry tonight. I don't know. Uh, okay. His question is pretty simple. Tips versus I-bonds, pros and cons. What are they? What, what are we talking about here? Okay. What's a tip? There is no such thing as a tip. There's only tips. Treasury. <laughs> Treasury. It's, like, it's like there's no such thing as a pant. Right. There's it's only pants. pants. There's only pants. Tips are Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. They're relatively new, though if you're millennial and younger, you're going to think they've been around forever. A relatively new type of security where the U.S. Treasury um, adds an inflation index to it. Uh, they, it it's, they typically use the CPIU, which is not what the Federal Reserve uses. It's not what most people use, but it's a Good number to use if you're going to be consistent. So they're using it. Um, Tips, they come in different flavors. You've got the five-year version, the 10-year version, and the 30-year version. And you can buy them just about anywhere. If you've got a Robinhood app or an E-Trade app or you go to Merrill Lynch or A.G. Edwards or anywhere else, you can say, I want some tips in my portfolio. And you'll have choices directly from the treasury through this system. And iBond comes in one flavor. It's actually called a Series I savings bond. It's a 30-year bond. Now, why why is that a big difference? Well, number one, it keeps paying at the interest that it's got marked on it, which changes every six months or so, um, forever, till 30 years. 
where the tips might mature at a five-year, a 10-year, or a 30-year. Or so that's not that big a difference, those two things. The number one difference is uh, how you buy it. Uh, you, you have to go directly to the U.S. Treasury Department to buy Series I savings bond. It's treasurydirect.gov. Um, it's also linked to the same inflation index, but it's applied twice a year instead of monthly. What, well, what's the difference? Well, it means that if you have a period of high inflation and it happens to be right on the right month that they're doing the measurement, you can have six months of really high interest payments on an I, I bond where a tip might be fluctuating up and down with whatever's going on. Right now, they're both paying a lot of interest. What were you going to add? There's something about tips that is really important to understand. Um, and you can check out the S&P 500 tips index. Um, even though tips are supposed to compensate you for high inflation, right? the S&P 500 tips index so far this year is down 5.63% with full interest reinvested. And this is, so, this, this is where I was actually going with that. Okay. What I was just saying, they're indexed monthly for the inflation. So it's like the interest rate should be keeping up with inflation. And where I was going is that the other big part of this that fits into it on where you can buy it, because the number one difference between these two things is where and how you can buy them. It's also where and how you can sell them. Because you can sell them at any point. If it's a tips, you can sell it on the market. You can just say, hey, I want to sell this thing. And if interest rates are up right now from when you, when you got them, you're going to lose money on it. Where a Series I savings bond you have to go back to the treasury to sell it. And you can't sell it in the first 12 months. You can't sell it at all. And after 12 months, if you sell it, you'll lose a quarter of interest unless you've held it for five years. Then you don't lose anything when you sell it. So there's a lot more restrictions on an I-bond, but it doesn't fluctuate in value. Well, why doesn't it fluctuate in value? Because there's only one buyer and one seller for it. If you're the buyer... Um, you bought it directly from the treasury. And if you're the seller, you sold it directly to the treasury. There's only one place to get and receive from uh, or to That's, go to to sell. And that yeah. means that the, 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 uh, the principal value is much more stable, at least on paper. I mean, you could turn and sell it to your grandma, but Treasury Direct's not going to recognize that your grandma owns it unless you died. <clears throat> Excuse me. So... Those are the big issues. There's, a, there's some other stuff like the taxes are different on it. On, a, on tips, uh, you get paid, even though it's indexed monthly, you get paid twice a year and you owe income tax on that interest. Uh, even if the, the, the value of it is down, if you got paid interest, you're going to owe taxes on that interest as if it's income. Uh, where with an I bond, an I series, series I, um, you don't have to take that interest. It's loaded into the, the bond itself. So when you go to sell it, that's when you owe uh, your taxes on it. There's some other fine details on that, but those are the two big things. I-bonds are clunkier, harder to buy, harder to sell, more stable. Tips are more sophisticated and easier to buy and sell. And, and you've got something to add to this? Bonds are very complicated, and TIPS bonds are even more complicated. But this is an important thing to recognize about TIPS bonds, the bonds themselves, that are 
currently offered by the Treasury, the ones that they're offering right now, um, the actual interest rate is 0.125%, which is not much. It is the adjustment of the underlying principle yeah. in arrears for inflation that gives them their value. Yeah, and that's and the part. A, you, you may owe... You may owe income tax on adjusted principal in tips where you don't until you sell on the I-bond. Yeah. So what's that adjusted principal? Say you bought it for a hundred bucks. It's not a good number to buy it with, but I'm going to say it anyway. And inflation's affected it. It's still worth a hundred dollars, but it's those dollars are worth less than they were. So the federal government goes in and adds some extra money to your principal. So now you it's like you invested a hundred and four dollars or in this climate, $108. And, so, and when that $8 might be taxable though, even though it's inflation. Yeah. From Weird. a practical point of view, and this is the esoteric knowledge behind this is makes my brain quiver. You, if you had you invested in a portfolio of new tips bonds or, or in the secondary market tips bonds at the beginning of the year, your portfolio with all interest and adjustments by the treasury and everything else would still be down 5.63% today. So even though the TIPS bonds, now when you compare what it's done over the last year, and this is where, where the, the attractive attraction comes in. I told you the S&P 500 bond index is down about 11.24%. The TIPS index, the S&P 500 TIPS index is down 1.94% of the last year. So you would have only lost 1.94% over the last year, according to the S&P 500 tips index, if you'd had that particular portfolio. You look surprised. Yeah, I'm, I didn't know there was an S&P 500 stock or tips index because it's... Yeah, there is. It's, it's, it doesn't make it's any really, sense. It doesn't, well, it's not, it, it doesn't take it from the S&P 500 companies because they obviously... It's actually called the S&P, I'm sorry. It's U.S. S&P tips. U.S. Tips yeah. Index. I was, I was very it's, confused there. For I'm sorry. It's S&P U.S. Tips Index. Uh, it lost 0.45% on Friday. So, so if you get into tips bonds, you're still, you've still got some significant market risk. If you get into I bonds, treasury go to Treasury Direct and buy savings bonds that are I-series, you have no market risk. TIPS bonds, as interest rates go up, tend to lose money, uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense if, according to the theory behind TIPS, but it does anyway. Because interest rates go up because inflation went up, and they tend to lose money. And when inflation or interest rates are going up, and inflation and interest rates are going up. By the way, bonds the only place I have seen bonds do anything other than lose money this year is in ultra short uh, inflation protected securities. So that's just where it is. I mean, that's just life. Uh, the markets, as interest rates go up, bonds lose money. It's, and it's a matter of how much money they lose in this case. All right, as we interest just, rates go down, they make money. You've got a question on soft landing and I just got right. one on when is a good idea to use solar energy with specific well, we questions on the, per- the personal finance side. So I'll, I'll have some really good answers on that. Anyway, okay. go ahead. Okay. The soft landing. Let's talk about what a soft landing is. As a matter of fact, the Fed has been talking about, or Chairman Powell actually was talking about a soft-ish landing, um, which is probably closer to what we get. A soft landing is reducing inflation without creating a major recession. Um, and it has been done actually quite a few times in history. 
uh, it has not been done several times, but the, the several times when it was not done, I don't think there was any intention of creating a soft landing. Uh, Paul Volcker created two major recessions to take out major inflation. If inflation is endemic to the economy, in other words, if consumer expectations are that inflation will continue to rise, and so they are demanding pay raises in anticipation of inflation, and people are buying things immediately when they come on to the, to the market to, for sale, uh, buy now, pay later, because they are convinced prices will go up in the future, that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It takes a hard landing, a recession, a lot of pain to squeeze that out of the economy historically. A soft landing is... Can, can I say that in a different way? Sure. Just real quick. Um, inflation is 99% psychological. Maybe 100%. I don't know. We'll quibble about... It is psychological in that when you want something so much, you're willing to pay more for it. No matter if yeah. it's, that, that's what I mean, is that if, if you say, no, I won't pay more than X for this thing. And we all know people that say, nope, I'm not buying that candy bar anymore. It's not 25 cents, whatever. That just means they haven't bought a candy bar in a long time, by the way. Um, that's the psychological part of it. And when you expect prices to go up, it influences the prices. If everybody expects it, then it influences the prices. And it has to be a really hard smack in the face, basically, for you to stop expecting that. And that's what a hard landing is. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and there's really no way of telling whether we're going to have a hard landing or a soft landing because there's a lot of things that are totally out of control of the Fed. The goal of the Fed right now, at least according to the people, the voting members of the Federal Reserve Board who have been speaking in public, is to raise interest rates very slightly above neutral. Now, what's neutral? Well, that's generally to be considered to be three, three and a quarter percent right now. And at the same time, to shrink their balance sheet, which is to basically absorb, by doing so, without getting into the mechanics of it, it absorbs money from the economy, takes money out of the system. Uh, and once savings come down a little bit and things return back to normal in the system, about the same time, there is a reasonable probability that we will have more oil, as Jake talked about, coming online. We'll have more gasoline being produced. Uh, China will finally stop locking down and start producing the things we need to make things here. Uh, even as we start making more things here than we were making that, that previously were made in China, it's a very complex situation underway, uh, operation underway right now. But the United States economy particularly, and maybe to a lesser degree, the world economy, is self-healing as long as there is a large degree of free trade and free enterprise going on. And there is. The end result of that is if interest rates go up, it becomes more expensive to borrow money to build things. For example, uh, Tesla is building a big plant down in Austin, almost done with it. They're not done with it by now. And that will make more cars. So there's more stuff to buy. That's a, that's a prime example that anyone who's driven to the airport has seen. They had to borrow money to build that plant. Now, if they wanted to build another plant and interest rates are higher, it'll cost them a lot more to borrow money. So they're less likely to build another plant, which means they're less likely to make more stuff, which means they'll, yeah. you, you follow that. hire more the people. Goes. So the trick for the Fed and the problem with what the Fed has done in the past sometimes 
is just as they get the brakes put on on the economy enough to slow it down, the economy also is slowing down on its own. And they are fully aware that that type of thing tends to happen. And so they're being, they have been relatively cautious and they're getting a lot of flack for being relatively cautious about raising rates. This particular set of inflationary uh, issues that is going on today is quite different from anything we have seen before. It has some degree of parallel back in the 1970s with the Arab oil embargo. And some parallel uh, with the 1940s after World War II. Right. So, but it's not the same thing at all. So it, it's, it, inflation is not entrenched in people's minds in the economy. It's still shocking. If we have 8% inflation and it's running along at 8% and we've finally gotten used to the fact that it's 8% and it doesn't make headlines anymore, we're in trouble. Yeah, and that's not the case right now. The headlines, I was just telling you, I was reading the economy section of the Wall Street Journal. In the top 15 or top 20 uh, headlines, two of them are not about inflation. That's huge. That means that we are all very aware of it and don't like it. Right, And, and my experience personally, in my very tiny world of observing, is that spending is slowing. Now, I see also indications in the economy that spending is slowing. And you can see it very in, in written in relatively large letters. Our, uh, our import numbers for the last month dropped 19%. What does that mean? That means we're buying less stuff from overseas. Yeah. And we're probably buying less stuff here too. Applications for new mortgages fell 6.5% one week over one week, but it's about 40% less than a year ago at the same time. 40% less. That's huge. And it's 7% drop for the mortgage applications where they're actually buying houses. So so we have this this, um, declining demand. It's the interest rates and the prices together tend to push demand down. Now, if people have access to lots of money and they don't care, they're just going to keep buying. I personally have noticed that I am clumping. We live in Salado and for instance, we go to, we there's certain things we buy in Harker Heights because that's where we buy them. And that's the only place we can get them reasonably. We clump our trips to Harker Heights together pretty tightly. And Inquisitor John has a question for us. Uh, home title theft. Home title theft. Is this a new scam? How widespread is this? Is there is this risk only for people that have paid off their mortgage? Um, let's say what it is first. Um, when you buy a house, there's a title involved. This goes way back to common law in Europe, where you, if you owned property, it was because you had a title to it, and it came with that title, and the title was sir or lord or count or whatever. So now we have a title that just says we own the land. And in Texas, uh, property title law is pretty clear. And the rest of the nation, it's pretty clear. If you own the land, you have a title on it. When you're selling the land, there's a process that takes place. And one one part of that process, if you go to the to the title office. They're looking to make sure that nobody has loans on that property that have been filed. Well, what is that? You can go to a courthouse and file a lien on a property. If you're doing work for that property or you have a mortgage on that property, you're the mortgage holder. You're, you've issued the mortgage to the uh, borrower. Well, you want to put a lien on the title so they don't go and sell the thing that they owe you money on and then not pay you back. 
There's another thing that happens. If somebody dies, you've got to go through probate. Well, part of probate is making sure that the title is transferred to the right person. Uh, that's often done through something called quit claims, which means that the person that held it doesn't hold it anymore. I've quit the claim on that deed. It's now on to this other person that I'm passing the claim to. Who's allowed to file those at the courthouse? Well, you are, and I am, and everybody else is. And on the paper, it says, do you really, do, do you swear that this is true when you sign it? Well, when somebody shows up with a quit claim deed or a quit claim at the, at the county and they file it, it's not the county's job to verify that. I know that's weird, but the county doesn't go and say uh, to the person that's living in the house, hey, is this you that's just filed this paper? No, they just hold the document. They, sometimes they do it online. A lot of times they do it still in paper. And then that person now has what looks like the title to the real estate. Now they've committed fraud. Uh, they've, they have lied while knowingly lied to get property that doesn't belong to them. But now that it's in their name, they can go and sell it. And this is where the, the theft actually occurs because the people that own the house, and if you're still living in the house and somebody shows up and tries to come into your house, you can figure out pretty quickly that something's wrong here. You can go to the county and get it figured out. Lawyers will be involved. But the person who's really the victim is the person that bought the house that you own that they don't own the house now. And they may have gotten a mortgage. There may be a mortgage lien on it. Now, the reality is that this isn't a mortgage-type purchase usually. Usually the title companies can go through and say, hey, this doesn't belong to this person. That, that didn't happen right there. And they can find when fraud has taken place. But if you're buying a house for cash, this often happens with um, in the lower rent areas where you come in and you say, I've got some cash. I'm going to take this really ugly house. I'm going to fix it up. I got a good price on it. I'm going to turn around and sell it. Well, you start working on it and then your crew gets told you need to stop by an attorney. And you go, why? This is my house. Well, the attorney says, no, it's my client's house. What are you doing here? And then you find out that there's title fraud, uh, that somebody has, quote, stolen the title. They haven't really. They've just stolen the money of the, purchase, the purchaser, and they may have done damage to the house. So how do you keep this from happening? You, you, you keep raising your hand. So well, I was just, you're, you're, doing, you're, you're on a roll. Go for it. Um, there's a lot of things you can do. The number one thing is to check your property taxes regularly. When you get a property tax notice, it means that you can go to the website at the county and check what their appraisal is on it and check who they think owns it. This is something that's relatively easy to do. It's not something in most people's list of things for fun. But when you get a property tax thing, usually it goes to your mortgage company and your mortgage company changes your mortgage and all of that. Check it. Go and look. If you've already got it paid off, you're at a higher risk for this than otherwise because they know a mortgage company is going to be involved if you don't have it paid off. So do your homework and check your, check your records regularly. That's the number one useful tip in fighting this. You're going to add to it? It is a form of identity theft, and it takes some pretty thorough identity theft to steal your house. And you're probably going to see it elsewhere. And among other things, you get bills every month 
for your water, your electricity, and so on, addressed to you at your address. If they stop coming, don't grin and say, those dummies stop sending me bills. That is your first indication. Title theft is extremely rare. It is extremely complex. And my, I had somebody ask me about this a while back, so I did some research on it. The vast majority of title theft is for houses in which no one lives. That's right. Because you don't notice that you're not getting the bills. You're not checking on it regularly. People who have bought houses as investment properties or something, and they're not living in the house and nobody's there, man, that is the sitting duck. And the people apparently who, who do the house stealing and selling look for houses in which nobody lives that somebody has bought and are not paying any attention to. And that's where they probably figure they can get the job done quickest and get away with the money before somebody catches them. Yeah, the the they can look online the same way you can. It's public record to see who owns the property. And if it's in an estate and it's been in an estate for seven years, that's a prime target. And when somebody shows up to appraise your house because you're selling it and you're not selling it, that's probably a giveaway. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> not, that is a, a giveaway. So just checking your own property tax records regularly, check it couple of times a year. It's good to do anyway, because they may give you an appraisal that doesn't make any sense. They're going to charge you extra money. So while you're at it, just make sure it's really still you on the title. Uh, That's the, that's the big thing. And we're out of time for this hour. Yeah. Saving on gas. So if you'd like to contact us off the air, we've got another hour coming up. You've got email and uh, voicemail. Voicemail is local at 947-1111, 254-947-1111. 947-1111, Toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Jeff and or Jake at tpwc.com. And you can also find our radio programs, newsletters, and so on on the webpage. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>